0: open our time in prayer, would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, it is amazing that miracle of Jesus healing the blind man, Bartimaeus. What's amazing, Lord, is that this blind man, though he could not see physically, had the faith to cry out, And recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David. And he asked for mercy. Lord, all of us here, though we may not be physically blind, we are or were at one point spiritually blind, unable to see. Yet in your incredible mercy, you opened our eyes. Those of us who believe, those of us who believe, you opened our eyes to see you clearly. Lord, that is an amazing, amazing miracle. And we give you all the glory and praise for that. God, and I pray that, Lord, even this afternoon, that you would open up the eyes of the spiritually blind. And that they would behold their incredible Redeemer this afternoon. The incredible work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the redemption He provided us, blind and enslaved sinners. The only hope and the only freedom is in Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd open eyes this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, what a wonderful afternoon. Tis fall. Doesn't it feel good? You know, in California, the calendar doesn't tell us it's fall. The weather does. And finally, we have some 60 degree, 60 to 70 degree cloudy, cool weather. And that brings a little pep into our step, doesn't it? Makes us excited for the coming season. So I don't know about you, but that that is the case for me. You can open your Bible to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Uh, We are continuing our series through this magnificent book of the Bible. You know, we're just kind of taking it verse by verse, walking through the scriptures together looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and we've made some incredible observations already the book of Ephesians is so deep so rich in theology that is the study of God it tells us so much about who he is last week we saw heaven's view of our salvation we saw the aerial view if you will The view from heaven. You know, often we, tiny humans, we measure truths of Scripture only by our own experiences. What we can touch, feel, see, or experience. And sometimes we reinterpret the truths of Scripture based on what we experience. And so we sometimes can get distorted by that reality and even give ourselves credit. For salvation. Well, we we're saved based on a decision that we made or choices that we made wherever we made them along the road of life. And, and that is obviously a distorted view of salvation. And sometimes it could even become man-centered. It could become more about you and your story than God and his story. Thankfully, God gives us the aerial view. He gives us the view of our salvation from heaven And the whole story from his perspective. And we saw that in the beginning of Ephesians here. We saw first that our Heavenly Father poured out immeasurable blessing upon our lives. I mean, it's as if God had the riches and the storehouses of heaven poured out upon us in a way that we couldn't even understand. We are so blessed by our Heavenly Father The blessing of heaven again overflows into our lives. All good things come from above, start from heaven, including our own salvation. It's all from him. We see second, and we saw this in verse 4, that he chose us before the foundation of the world. God's choosing of us was not dependent upon our choosing of him. How could it be? He he chose us before the foundation of the world, before you and I even existed. We don't deny that truth, even though sometimes our, our finite minds can't reconcile it. We have a hard time dealing with truths like that because we ask the question, how can God be totally sovereign over our salvation? Yet, the scriptures tell us that we are totally responsible. We must respond in faith to believe. Are both of those truths true? Yes. Yes. Is it easy to reconcile? No. But does that mean in our minds that if we can't reconcile, does that mean that the Scripture contradicts itself? No. No. Let me assure you that those two truths are totally reconciled in God's mind. <laughs> uh, we don't have to be the ones to reconcile those things they work hand in hand perfectly according to god's design and we trust him and we believe and have faith in him and we praise the father we praise him for that incredible incredible love and that he chose us the question isn't uh, why did god only choose some the question is like we said last week why did god choose anybody because we are so sinful Yet he chose us in love. We saw thirdly, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. We learned that in first century Rome, adoption was a significant process. And this process enabled a father to pass on his name and his wealth to succeeding generations. And that was only the case if he didn't have biological sons, of course, to pass along his wealth and his name. Our Heavenly Father adopts us into His family and He lavishes upon us incredible wealth, an incredible name to be called a child of God. Why? Well, not because He would die like the Roman fathers would and He needed somebody to carry on His name, but to simply, uh, the text says, according to His good pleasure. Because He wanted to. He wanted us as His children. And that is... An incredible blessing from our Heavenly Father. And what we noticed at the end of the message last week, just a brief review, is that there is a significant agent through which these blessings flow to us. A bridge, if you will, a way in which God bestows these blessings upon us. And it is uh, noted to us by the phrase, in Him. In Him. We know that the agent through which all these blessings flow to us from the Father is the beloved, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me put it to you simply, without Jesus, without faith in him, without being in Jesus Christ, as the scriptures tell us, you cannot have these spiritual blessings from the Father. You must be born again. You must be in Jesus Christ. In Him. That small prepositional phrase is one that we cannot ignore. And it really answers the how. The how question. We know, uh, and you'll see up here on the slides, we know the who, the what, and the why. The who is us, the saints. The what, we, the saints, are blessed chosen, and predestined to adoption? Why? We learned last week, well, it was God's love according to the good pleasure of His will. And the how? Well, that's the question we answer today. We look more specifically at Him, Jesus Christ, the agent of our salvation. How is it that we receive these blessings? Well, it was only through the redemptive Work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we're going to look at this glorious redemption through heaven's lens this afternoon. Why don't you look at your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We We continue on. Verse 7, in Him, and we're talking about Christ the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Two major points this afternoon. The first is this. In Him, redemption. In Him, redemption. We're introduced to this big word in verse 7. You see it there. In Him, we have redemption. Redemption. What does redemption mean? Write this down. It's up for you on the screen. Redemption is freedom. On the basis of a ransom paid. Redemption is freedom on the basis of a ransom paid. Well, let's break that phrase down. So, our redemption implies that we were once not free. You know, in order for us to be redeemed, in order for that to be necessary, we, at a time, were not free. So, the question should be, and maybe you're asking yourself, what did we need freedom from? Why did we need to be redeemed? Well, the scriptures tell us that we needed freedom from bondage or slavery to sin. John 8, 34 says this, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If we read on in Ephesians chapter 2, we go on to verses 1 through 3, it describes this state of slavery quite vividly. Uh, Paul says later, and I'm not going to jump ahead, but I just want to read it for reference. He says, you were dead, In the trespasses and sins which you once walked. He calls us sons of disobedience. Even in verse 3, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The reality is, is that, friend, you and I, without Christ are slaves to sin. Slaves to our own sin. Slavery is not a pretty picture. We're reminded of it often in this day. Constantly, it seems as though people want to point back to the ugly, ugly, ugly history of the American slave trade. And we see those pictures, we hear those stories, and it's just appalling it's an ugly picture to be a slave. Especially if you have a cruel master. The Bible says that the Bible describes our spiritual state without Christ as being one enslaved to sin. You tell me, you know the answer to this question is slave a cruel master or is sin a cruel master? Yes. Yes. Sin makes promises it can't fulfill. Sin paints a nice, pretty picture. Oh, this will please you. This will give you temporary pleasure. This will make you feel good. This is the true justification you need in a moment like this. And then you give in to the sinful desire, and you find yourself just as empty, if not more empty, than where you started. Sin is enslaving. You know, without Christ, it's difficult to stop. Addictions. Difficult to stop. And that slavery leads to death, the Bible says. So it just gets worse. Romans 6.23, you know this verse? For the wages of sin, that is, sin is, sorry, for the wages of sin is death, that is, sin earns death. You know, Bree and I have been touring the growth groups at Summit Bible Church, getting, just getting to know people, sitting in on the discussions, and they've been massively encouraging. Some of the groups uh, we're going to are going through the book, Remembering Death. We're sitting in a circle talking about dying, a very encouraging, uplifting uh, Bible study, don't you think? Don't you want to join? One of the main points, though, of the discussion, and it's a reality we need to embrace is that we need to embrace the realities of death in order to really grasp the treasure and hope of eternal life. In other words, you have to embrace the bad news before you see the value of the good news, right? Why is good news so wonderful? Why is the good news good? Well, because it really saves you out of the bad. And so, so often preachers will just give you the good stuff, right? The honey and the sugar in their messages. But they're not going to tell you that you're sinful. They're not going to tell you that, you know, life is hard. They're just going to give you an easy quip, some helpful tips and some hints to just make you feel better. But they're doing you a real disservice because if you don't embrace the bad news, you'll never be able to really embrace the good news. And so what did we need freedom from? We needed freedom. We needed redemption from a bondage to sin and its penalty. The reality is that apart from Christ, we are shackled in our sins and we can't get ourselves out. We're unable to earn our own freedom. And it's like we're in a you know, shackle to shackle connected to every other human being in history and we're all walking slowly toward this end point which is death. And that's not unjust. It's what we earned and deserved. We're all indicted criminals awaiting just punishment for our crimes unless someone can pay our ransom. You may be familiar with the incredible story of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass, American icon, He was a runaway slave who became the famous orator and abolitionist in the mid-19th century. Frederick Douglass had escaped slavery. That's a rare, rare story that you hear, but he was one of them. Uh, But what's interesting is that, I don't know if you heard this part of the story, but Frederick Douglass escaped slavery, but because of his growing popularity as he spoke and wrote an autobiography he regained the attention of his former slave owner, Hugh Auld. Hugh Auld declared rights over Frederick Douglass and demanded he be returned as his rightful property. Now, some of Douglass's ardent and wealthy supporters in England arranged to purchase his freedom. The negotiations with Ald landed at 150 pounds sterling, which equated to about 712 dollars in the mid uh, 19th century. That was, you know, relative to about 25,000 dollars today. That was the value placed on this man's life, Frederick Douglass, in December of 1846. Was legally redeemed, declared free from slavery for the high ransom of $712. $712, the price for Frederick Douglass's freedom. Now, friend, let me ask you this what's the price for our freedom from sin? In other words, what did it cost? What was our ransom? Go back to Ephesians. Paul tells us Ephesians 7 In him we have redemption through his blood. Blood is the currency for redemption. It's the only currency God will accept blood. That's a little bit graphic, isn't it? Why are we Christians so obsessed with blood? Have you thought about that? We sing a lot of songs about blood. It's because it's so precious to us. Not human blood in the sense of, we're not vampires. (laughs) But the perfect blood of Jesus Christ was such a high cost that paid our ransom the question you should ask is why does God require blood for our freedom why would God require that Leviticus 17 11, it's up there on the screen this is explains why God would require blood for freedom Ver, verse 11 says for the life of the flesh is in the blood Blood, flowing blood, indicates life. If your blood stops flowing, you're in trouble. Go to a doctor and fast. But blood indicates life. And he says this, I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood, the blood spilled, that makes atonement by the life. See, life is in the blood, we indicate life living in the flow of blood. So blood spilled on the altar indicates what? Death. So, if the penalty of our sin is death, then the only payment acceptable before God is another's death in your place. Someone must die for your sins. A sacrifice is what you need to be freed from sin. Hebrews 9.22 states it plainly, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Listen, sin requires death. And all sin demands a payment. It must be punished. God doesn't sweep things under the rug. He is a just God. He is a holy judge, perfect He can't let sin go. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't look it over. Blood must be spilled. Now hear these words afresh. Thanks be to God. To the praise of His glorious grace that He provided His blood and didn't require yours if you trust in Him. Oh, it is precious blood that Jesus Christ spilled on the cross in our place. First Peter 1.18 says this, Knowing you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, not with $712, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Revelation 1-5 says, Jesus Christ, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Revelation 5-9, and they sing a new song in heaven saying, Worthy are you, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the only man without sin, died on the cross in our place, spilled his own innocent blood to pay our ransom and purchase our freedom. What love, what riches, what grace provided to us in his redemptive work. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price, such a high price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 7, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. You were freed from slavery, don't go back to it. Look back at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Jesus died in our place, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of sin, that's what redemption results in. We are forgiven. There's been an official cancellation, uh, a release from all legal charges, obligations, or punishment. God in heaven, the righteous judge, put down the gavel on your life, and if you are in Christ, redeemed, covered in His blood, He declares not guilty. In fact, Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The criminal record is wiped clean. Friend, whether you're watching online or you're here today, and these truths are hitting your heart for the first time, I want you to see the glories of knowing Jesus Christ being redeemed by him. You may be here feeling so guilty about your sin. You may be here feeling so dirty, so filthy, feeling like not even enough good works from you can make yourself clean, and you're right by that. You can't make yourself clean. You can't take off the shackles of your own sin. The Bible says we're slaves to sin, but thanks be to God, he provided you a way. He provided you a ransom. And that ransom was a high price. He gave his only beloved son to die on the cross in your place. And if you would believe and trust in him today for salvation, you can be redeemed. You can be forgiven and all your sins wiped clean. The record set straight, declared right before God, only in Jesus Christ today. And I would beg you, urge you to believe in that today, to surrender All these ideas that you can make yourself good, that you can make yourself clean, that you can live a good life without Jesus. Surrender to Jesus today. He made a way for you to be saved. You need to talk to someone after service if you have not yet believed and received Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus' incredible work of redemption. And believers... You're warmed and you're filled hearing these truths. You're so thankful, so grateful, so overwhelmed by the grace of God, the lavish blessings poured out upon your life. I want to challenge you now. This is the good news you have to go and tell people. You've got to share the good news of the gospel with others because this is the only way that they can be redeemed, set free from their bondage to sin oh man, the incredible grace that God would rip off those shackles and set you free from your sin. Don't now go into the hills and hide by yourself and curl up with your family members, but go back to the slave yard and tell others how they can be set free. Be excited about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and evangelize with the gospel, this good news. Believe in Jesus and you can be saved too. Oh, I pray that this would encourage believers to become more evangelistic, to become more on fire for what this incredible truth tells us about God and His lavish grace. It gets better. (laughs) It gets better. Look back at Ephesians 3, 7. We have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according, according, on par with, This makes all the sense in the world. When you consider the riches of His grace, verse 8, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Undoubtedly, redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, is a gift of grace. Amen? One that we did not earn or deserve. And this gift flows to us, is lavished upon us from the heavenly storehouses. If blood is the currency of redemption, grace is the currency of heaven. And it's it's an account that cannot be diminished. You try to overdraft on God's grace, it's not going to happen. He still and keeps providing more and more. The wealth of God's grace is immeasurable. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the ultimate display of His wealth. You know, museums display the wealth of nations, empires, and their rulers. Bree and I uh, have got the opportunity to walk through the Met in New York, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And it's estimated, this museum, that the value of all the artifacts, displays, pieces of art in this museum are worth over $100 billion. It's a lot of money in one building. It's a big building, but that's still a lot of money. Incredible displays of arts, uh, statues these incredible artifacts that were dug up by archaeologists. It's really an incredible sight to see, an incredible building to walk through. But if you were to walk through the Museum of Heaven, you might see a model of the universe as you walk in, all the stars laid out, the moons, the suns. And you would be overwhelmed by this incredible display of God's creativity and artistry. You might see pictures of uh, significant moments in history on the wall, yet not from human angles, but from the view of heaven as God saw over it. You might see the rise and fall of empires and rulers, not by their view, but by God's view, because you know that his hand was working through it all. And it would be an incredible and awesome display of his sovereignty and his dominance over the world. You might see an image of a baby in a mother's womb, the intricate details of his or her development, a magnifying display of God's power and dexterity. Undoubtedly, though, at the center of this museum, outshining all other displays, brighter than the sun, you would see a man with scars on his hands and feet, like a lamb standing as though he had been slain. Jesus Christ the beloved Son of God, the ultimate display of God's wealth and His grace. Our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And we haven't even begun to plummet the depths of the truths in this verse. But we, we must move on. In Christ, redemption. According to the riches of His grace, which with or with which He lavished upon us. In Him, redemption. Number two, second point this afternoon, is in Him, revelation. Revelation. What I mean is that God revealed something to us, and He tells us right here. In Him, revelation. The wealth of God's grace displayed ultimately in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ it overflows to also reveal to us the mysteries of God's will look at Ephesians 1:8 it says the grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us verse 9 the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Christian, in Christ, you have unique wisdom and insight. Wisdom and understanding that the world does not have. Because you have Jesus. I I think about Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, why don't you turn there in your Bibles... Briefly, Hebrews chapter 1, turn to the right. I want you to see this how Christ reveals to us the mysteries of God's will and throughout time. He really is the answer to the great questions of life. And you know, that's why the Sunday school kid, when you say, you ask him a, a difficult question and he says, Jesus, well, he's 99.9% right. Uh, so, he, you know, kids, you could stick with that for your Sunday school classes. It's a good answer. Look at Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his words. Wor- by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Long ago, God spoke through prophets in many ways. It was like a, a puzzle. He was putting pieces together. But the full picture... Is Jesus Christ, who is the answer, the fulfillment of God's ultimate plan? His ultimate plan. Jesus reveals to us the will of God. And if you're in Christ, then you have the answers uh, to most of life's big questions. Okay, what are the great questions of history? I have them listed here. These are the big questions. That scholars and philosophers dabble with and try to answer. What is our origin? Why are we here? What's going to happen in the end? Well, Jesus not only answers those questions, but ties them all together. But what does the world try to say? Atheists and even those of other religions, they don't understand these mysteries. And they don't see any tie that pulls, holds them together. They don't know where they came from. The best guess is a, a big bang. They don't know why we're here. Some say to live a good and moral life. But that purpose and goal is undefined. It leads to tired and miserable lives, not fulfilled ones. They're unsure of what's going to happen in the end. Some say we're going to simply cease to exist. Well, if that's the end, is there any hope? Is there any peace in the heart of man? Can there be any true rest on this earth? But listen, those who are in Christ know the answer to these questions. Because God has revealed it to them in Christ. If you're in Christ, you know that you were created by God with a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify and worship Him in all of our lives. Now, the greatest catastrophe of history was when that one man sinned against God. And because of that one man's sin, it led to all men's sin. And, well, we know the consequences of that. Sin severed life, it severed relationship, and it caused a massive divide in this world. And it continues to express divisions today. But Jesus, God intervened, He made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and restored in relationship with him Jesus is the answer to why and what's going to happen in the end well Jesus he's coming back and he's going to make all things right in the fullness of time what is Paul talking about here in uh, Ephesians 1:10 as a plan for the fullness of time he set forth the purpose of his will in Christ And we saw that in his first coming, but the complete work of salvation, redemption, we'll see in the very end, when Jesus comes back a second time. So when Paul's talking about the fullness of time here in verse 10, 10, he's talking about the last things, the end. So God's plan, again, set forth in Christ, it culminates in the end when Jesus comes back. And he places all things under his feet. He unites all things in heaven and on earth. I want you to look at this passage. It's going to be up for you on the screen. A great description of the things to come in 1 Corinthians 15. Notice the similarity in language to Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Verse 24 says, Then comes the end the second coming of Christ. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God, it says, has put all things in subjection under his feet. Have we seen that yet? Not yet. And Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews 1 tells us, we have not seen this yet, but this is to come. He puts all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. That is the Father. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be Subjected to Him, the Father, who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. That just gives you a picture of the end here. God, the Father, has this incredible plan of redemption that is accomplished in His Son, Jesus Christ. He redeemed our souls when He came and He made a sacrifice for sins. He paid the ransom. He's going to fully redeem, restore all things in the end when he comes back. And when he makes all things right, when he again unites heaven with earth, he, he brings heaven back down to earth and establishes his forever reign, his kingdom. This, of course, is a day we have not seen yet, but it is a day coming. The culmination of God's redemptive plan. The point, though, of the matter is that Christ, Jesus, reveals these things to us. You don't know or understand or have any faith to believe these things without him, without being redeemed by him, without being in him, as the text describes. So we as Christians, you know, we don't just look back to the great sacrifice of the cross, we look forward to his future return. When he writes all wrongs, he brings unity to the great divide. He brings peace to the hostility. When the dwelling place of God is back to the earth, and once again, all things will be under him. That's the government we hope for, amen? Let me just remind you: we put we put so much trust in temporal temporal governments, and uh, man, we become really fatalistic, almost pessimistic, even as Christians, when we see you know government rise and fall and deteriorate, and sinful men take over. And friends, that's not our hope. <laughs> That's not our hope. Let's let's pray beyond four more years of peace for our country. Let's pray for the thousand years of peace that follows Christ's return. Let's pray for his forever reign and the eternal kingdom to come and to come quickly. Set Set your hope in Jesus Christ. Look forward to him. And let that bring you peace. Let that bring you assurance. Confidence. Let that strengthen your faith. God revealed his plan to you. He told you in the scriptures time and time again that Jesus comes. He made a sacrifice to pay for your sins and he's coming back to restore all things. There's great hope in that. Amen? Look forward. Look back with appreciation and look forward with great anticipation and hope. God seems to just keep pouring and pouring blessings into our lives through these words of Scripture. It is an incredible blessing to think about Him choosing us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to be His children. We have redemption. And He reveals His plan to us. And next week, we're going to look more closely at this inheritance that we have to look forward to and the person who guarantees it for us. We've so far looked at the work of the Father and the Son in our salvation, and next week we see the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and how He works in this incredible salvation given to us by God's glorious grace. Let me pray to close. Heavenly Father, I ask once again that you would stir in the hearts of the people here this afternoon. God, I pray for the Christians, for those in Christ, that they would be stirred up with such gratitude and thanksgiving in the incredible reality of their redemption. And the incredible love and grace of you, God, to provide such a way for us to be set free from our bondage. Oh, Lord, I, I pray that that would make us thankful for the season ahead of us, Lord, and cause us to be overjoyed. Lord, But I pray that we would be urged even more to share that good news with somebody else, somebody else this week. God, I pray that we as believers would be challenged to share the good news of our redemption with someone else this week, that we would be active in our application of the scriptures and that we would share the gospel, the good news with someone else. God, I pray for any unbeliever here today, listening today, watching. I pray that you would stir in their heart true and genuine faith that you would give them the gift of faith to believe in Jesus Christ the Son, who alone is the way of redemption, the only way that they could be set free from their sin, from their guilt, from the burden, from the shame, that they would believe in Jesus Christ today. Pray that you would do that work of salvation, God. We know you can do it. We know you can do it. You are mighty to save. God, I pray that you'd cause that person to go talk to somebody who invited them or even to talk and grab one of our one of our elders, Lord, even me this afternoon to talk about what it means to be a Christian, Lord. We would love to, to talk that through with them after service today, Lord. We give you all the glory and the praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.